and welcome to another episode of Today We Laughed and Learned. Um, as I've said previously, Deb is unable to record right now. We're hoping she can come back soon. But honestly, I'm very happy to say that over the past two years, we have met some incredible people over our podcast, over Twitter, over uh, Instagram, and they've all been stepping up to jump in as a co-host. And today I am honored to have a great friend and a very early supporter. You guys were with us in the beginning. Um, from the Wrestling Fans Insight Podcast, we are speaking with Carlos Estrada today. Welcome, Carlos. Hi, thanks for having me. I uh, just want to send some well wishes to Deb. Deb, we miss you. Um, again, I, I, I love your guys' energy. Again, proud to be a supporter from, from a very beginning because I, I just love what you women do. Like it's always been it's always a fun, fun listen. I'm always honestly usually listening to you guys at work, and I'm always and you always make me laugh and learn. I mean, again, the title fits. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It's so sweet. And I'm sure Deb thanks you too. Um, I think I can remember actually when I first um, actually kind of spoke with you because this is our first time actually meeting. We've always kind of Twittered or whatever. I, it was, I was listening to a live stream and as all the fans, I'm not really a huge wrestling fan, but um, I've learned to appreciate it and love it over the past two years. But uh, you, you and you, John and probably Heather, you were having a live stream. And I think I was the only one listening. Oh, <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> it goes back a couple of years ago. Yeah. It was right in the very beginning. And it was late at night for me. And I remember you so kindly said, you know what? I keep meaning to listen to their podcast. And they they sound so sweet. I re we really appreciate their support, yada, yada. And then the next couple of times I listened, I heard that you were listening. And I'm like, oh, my God, Carlos is so sweet. So I, when I was looking for co-hosts, co I'm like, oh my God, I got to reach out to Carlos. And here you are. Oh, thank you. You know, and that's, <laughs> and I, you know, that thing I've learned as I gotten older is I try to be a person of my word, you know, so I'm not going to just say something and not mean it. I think, you know, and I just think that's a good way to live life. You know, if you have people, people that are supporting you and giving their time to you, you should try to give it back, you know, and, and that's just it, you know, it's, I think, you know, the fact that you guys can have an appreciation for the wrestling business and you guys have made a lot of friends with people who, who mutually are friends with. And, and again, just doing something different, you know, like I like your guys in niche with your, with your show and you guys have a wonderful energy. Um, you know, I do hope that you guys get to go back together because you guys just have a natural chemistry, you know, and you guys make the show fun. And again, like I was, I was really touched when you asked me to be on here because again, um, you guys have been supporters and, you know, and, 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 and I just think that's a beautiful thing, you know, you, you know, even taking the time to go on and give five stars, you know, on, on the thing, you know, just that can mean the world to somebody, you know? Um, and that's even something I try to do on X, you know, with, with my followers, you know, like, um, like today, like I, like I, I try to interact as much as I can. And my, even my ex, that's our day. We hang out today and watch movies and stuff like that. And, and he's mm -hmm. like, you're always on your phone. I go, because I feel like if somebody's giving their time to me, like I want to try to give as much time back to them, you know? Cause maybe I'm like, maybe I am the only person like you, like you're the only one on our, on our stream. Maybe I'm the only person they interact with the whole day, or maybe I'm the only person that, that showed them kindness to, to reply back to them. Like letting them know it's a real person behind the screen, you know? I think makes all the difference in the world, you know, and that's just it. We're all being used different ways and you never know what kind of a positive impact you can make on somebody's day. So why not try to do that? Well, I agree totally. And, and I mean, you and we know definitely how hard this hobby of everybody's is yeah. and how, I mean, it just makes you so grateful when somebody writes, gives you five stars or writes a little message saying really enjoyed the episode. It feels like all your hard work paid off. And I think, you know, what you give is what you get. Absolutely. You know, and yeah. I know for me, it's paid off. I've met someone, we've said it a thousand times. We can't believe how incredible the people we've met. We haven't met a bad person yet. 
They've all I'll introduce been you to a couple in their own way. <laughs> <laughs> The wrestling world, the wrestling, the wrestling, wrestling, IW, the wrestling community can be very toxic at times. That's something that I'm, I'm proud of is that we've, we've built a really fun community where, where, you know, we don't, we let, let, let people be fans, you know, let, let people live and have their lives and root for, root for who they want to go for. And, and, you know, that's just it. Like, I appreciate everyone's fandom or everyone's interest. You know, I, I think if we all just learn to, to appreciate the good things we like about people instead of focusing on the bad, the world would be a lot better place, you know? It's cer- Oh, without a doubt, it certainly would. I mean, when I think about, <laughs> you know, in the beginning, like I said, I think um, some of the greatest people we've met is you, John, uh, BC, Ted, Warren. I mean, so many people. They've all been fantastic and all from the wrestling world. Yeah. But like I said, I didn't understand wrestling two years ago. Now I understand it. Now I really appreciate it. You are a fan of AEW. Yes. From what I gather. That is your main. Well, WWE. So I go back and forth. Like, so now I'm more, I'm following more WWE because they've gotten a lot better, but I I love both. I love both companies. I mean, I, I, I support all wrestling. I try, even if I have like, like I, I recently got COVID a couple weeks ago. And so like I was home and I was watching independent wrestling on YouTube. You know, I feel like. Oh, fun. Like to me, like I, I can appreciate it for what it is. You know, I don't go watching an independent show expecting it to be the caliber of AEW or WWE. I can appreciate it for what it is. And that's something actually like I like about AEW is because they do use like so if they go to like a local market, they'll use a the local talent there. And then, oh, and then cool. when I see like a local show advertised, it's it's uh, like, oh man, like I, I I recognize the wrestlers, and I think that's something that they're giving the wrestling business. So, um, and I, and, and AEW does feel more like a fraternity. I'm 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 the kind of person I always root for the underdog. Like even like I always I <laughs> that's you know even when I start rooting for Tom Brady, you know I'm, you know he everyone says he's the goat now, but he wasn't. He was a six round draft pick, you know. And so like, right, and that's right. like he's to me he's the ultimate underdog, and I love that man to death, you know. So um, that's just the kind Listen. of people I root for, yeah. You can't. You, nobody bashes Tom Brady. No, no. Me. I actually, I, I actually went to. You're from Boston. I actually went. To, I actually went to Boston um, a few years ago. His last season to go watch him play at, at Gillette Stadium before he retired. And I was just. I picked the game in October, thinking, "Oh, it'll be nice weather," and it was totally bad, raining. And then, of course, like I want. I wanted to like. Be, I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay by. Um, I stayed in a hotel right across the street from um, Fenway mm-hmm. Park, not realizing that, that Gillette's an hour away. So then I had to pay for an hour Uber <laughs> and try to get a ride back. So that was an adventure. But at the same time, like I'm that kind of person, like I'm willing to take an adventure. And that's why um, I'm glad to do the show with you today and just learn something new. Like I'm that kind of person. Yeah, let's do it. Why not? You know? <laughs> well, let me tell you this. If you decide to do it again, there's now a train. They've built a train station there. So uh, oh, they're nice. Oh, from, finally, of course. Now yeah, you can of get course. The now they do. Yeah. Train. It was all like soaking wet, <laughs> raining. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, this is. I, but again, you take a chance. But at the same time, like I'm glad I did it though. But yeah, of course, now they build it. And even the hotel I stayed at closed now. It's not the closed. They closed the hotel closed. <laughs> but you can actually, I can actually see it away from my hotel room. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, that is yeah. cool. That is cool. But I mean, that's what you remember. Those easy peasy trips kind of come and go out of your mind, but though some you have a story to tell. Oh yeah, like I, I went to I went to um, DC and and um, I went to DC during and then I went to um, Philadelphia during the um, inauguration and of course that's when the J- January sixth thing happened and so everything got closed oh, down. Geez. So I couldn't go, so I couldn't go like to the inauguration like I wanted to, but that but that, so I but like I got smart, so I, I booked I booked a trip for 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 um 
for Philly and DC. And that Saturday I went to Philly. Actually, I went to go visit the Liberty Bell and I had it to myself for 20 minutes. Like nobody else was there. And because it was during Perfect. the pandemic. So like those are the kind like you're saying, like no one who else is ever gonna have that story, like to say they got to have the Liberty Bell to themselves for 20 minutes on a Saturday. You know, I know. Like, no one else will ever get to say that but me. You know, so that's so you have a picture, you have a picture with nobody else in the background. I do, yeah, yeah. You have to oh, yeah, I do. I, mean, I don't Photoshop everyone else. I was like, I got to literally just <laughs> enjoy it for myself for 20 minutes. It was amazing. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so answer me this. Back to wrestling a little bit. What got you involved in wrestling? I keep, um, you know, Ted and BC, I know their stories. Where did you find yours? So it's funny because, um, because so I'm I'm a gay male, and so for me, like, be like part of my wrestling thing was like honestly, um, when I wasn't ready to come out of the closet, it was it allowed me to like to kind of look, check out guys and and mm-hmm. and and be interested in them. So it was kind of like a safe place for me, you know, and that's really cool. Like, like I could watch wrestling and be into a wrestler, and and my parents never questioned like, do you like him because of a six pack <laughs> or you like him because of his wrestling skills? So, like, it was a safe place for me to kind of discover my sexuality, and even then, like, I wasn't sure what I, you know what I identified as you know but um mm-hmm. it made me a fan but it, but honestly but besides that too it wasn't just about that it's a male soap opera you know it's it's something you can watch it's it's literally a soap opera you know you got your good your bad guys you got your storylines you know and that's for me it's like it's it's you just you you get you get you get invested in the characters and it is it's a male soap opera is the best way to put it you know just like that's exactly how i put it yeah. too thank you you solidified what i said i think it was with bc a couple of years ago i'm like I didn't real. I wasn't sure if everybody knew it was a story, if it was real, because I came from the age when it was questionable. I I was the Hulk Hogan, uh, Randy Savage, Savage kind of yeah for sure. Era. So it was they were still saying it was real, although there was questions. So um, once I realized that if you guys put it into perspective, I'm like, oh, it's just a soap opera. I was into them, you know, the real soap, oh, right, you exactly, know, the yeah. original soap opera. So there you go. It's just a story. Now I get it. <laughs> and, but for, I think like for me, like it's one of those, but you like, just you, like when you're always having to defend it, it, it means more to you yeah. because people always want to judge you for it. And, and that's the one thing for me is like meeting, like just like, like you can't just you can't just sit there and, and put 10 people against the wall and say okay who's who here with these people are wrestling fans and that's something that, that i've loved about the community that i built now it's like anyone could be a wrestling fan and it's yeah. like and and also just dur- during the attitude era which was like the late 90s everybody was into wrestling when the rock was there mm-hmm. and stone cold and it was it was part it was, it was really accepted in pop culture so that was like a cool thing like oh wow like for me you know like it kind of validated your fandom you know like having the rock who's like the biggest you know, movie star in the world now come from wrestling validates your fandom too. But at the same time, like no one's ever going to tell me what to like and not like, you know, and that's, and that's so, but that's, I think why wrestling means more because before it was kind of almost one of those things where it was taboo and that, but now it's kind of more mainstream. And I just think now it's like, it, it, but I think it's, it's, it's now that they pulled the curtain back and they broke what they call kayfabe, how they brought it to you at all. No. So kayfabe's have turned in wrestling. Like, like if a wrestler's in kayfabe, that means like they're in character. So, so, oh, okay. so you don't break kayfabe. And so, like the guy, so a guy who uh, like talking about AEW, MJF is like the perfect guy because he doesn't break kayfabe. He's always in character. And I think oh, that, okay. and so like that's something I really appreciate about him because he he's like you don't really see that anymore because with social the the great thing about social media is it gives you access to everything. But the bad thing is like you get to see all these people in their regular lives anymore. So it kind of hurt the business in a way, but also made it better because right. now you do feel like you feel connected to these people, you know. So so um, it's just it's just an interesting time. But at the same time, like you just got to 
it's an escape, you know, and that's, and that's for me what it is, you know, and like, and that's, you know, it's just like reality television is not really reality television anymore either. So I think, know. you know, so it's I think, yeah, fake. it's all completely choreographed and the thing that, the thing that wrestlers, people like they're realizing now too, is that they are athletes, you know, just because the, the, the outcome is, is, um, predetermined like they're still athletes and that's i think so i think with with kind of just coming out and kind of being you know kind of you know breaking mm-hmm. down the walls of kayfabe like they've honestly let people understand just like how great about athletes they really are you know and so again it's just i think it's a it's a fun time for wrestling you know and so yeah, yeah. and i think and I, I i i am surprised at how i mean i always knew it was popular but it's huge <laughs> Oh yeah, it's huge. Wrestling yeah, it's huge. <laughs> you know, I mean, because I'm over here, I, there's a lot of things I don't realize how big they are in the states until I get them. Like, where did this pop up? And of course, it's just been developing over the years in the states. But being over here, I'm kind of hidden from it. I can't believe how big it's gotten since social media. I mean, like I've told the story before when I was dating one guy, his fam, his roommates would watch Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage Saturday mornings. And uh, that was the only time that I understood wrestling. And I mean, you know, they were fans and they had their magazines and all that stuff. But you didn't see everybody going out with the T-shirts and the openly talking about it. So it's neat. It is very neat. neat. Now, what do you think about? I know this one got me. And I talked with BC a couple of weeks ago about this. The Rock came back. I am surprised. I guess because I don't follow wrestling as much as other people. The Rock came back. He's a gigantic movie star but he still keeps his ties to the wrestling world i would have thought that he would have moved on and just put wrestling in his past you know for me i honestly think that right the rock needs wwe right now you know because i feel like he you know he got some bad publicity with that whole thing with hawaii and then mm-hmm. you know and then he then he kind of he he you know he got some bad press with um with the xf with with his movies with black adam and now he was trying to strong arm his way into that and then you know he, he then that the whole you know he was kind of trying to take he was trying to take over that whole dc universe and then the movie flopped so <laughs> i feel like honestly i i feel like the wwe needs the rock but i feel like the rock needs the wwe right now too because he's trying to rebuild his brand and stuff like that and so he actually came back and and, and he actually thought he could take he could take the spot of cody rhodes who was like the biggest baby face right now and a backfire on him so i don't know if you've been following mm-hmm. love like the rock he actually had to turn heel so he's actually a bad guy right now and oh uh, i didn't know he turned heel. yeah he turned okay. heel because he, he, he the fans the, basically, the whole this past year, the the WWE was feeding a story of Cody Rhodes was going to be the champion, finish his story, right. and then The Rock tried to come in and insert himself in the story, and the fans said, "No, we don't want that." Like you know, like you can't just take his story. So it totally mm-hmm. backfired on him. And so now he's so now they had to they had to backtrack, and now he's a heel. So it's interesting to see him be a back. And he's he's a great heel, but I don't, I don't think you know that wasn't the plan though. But um, I bet but, it wasn't. But the thing that and so the thing that I pre so we're talking about the rock. The thing that I appreciate about John Cena and the reason why I put him above the rock now is because John Cena never left the wrestling fans. Like even mm-hmm. like if when he was going to do movies, he would come do a match every year where mm-hmm. like the rock did kind of leave. And so, but I think when he came back, like, they like he even says it when he comes out when he comes out he'll always show his arm because he has goosebumps on it and he's how oh, okay. he says there's nothing there's no other hot there's no other high for him like coming out there to the fans cheering him like there's nothing no accolades from the movies nothing Aww. that he ever does from the car nothing 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 equivalates that high that he gets from coming out to like the, the applause like he'll literally have goosebumps on his arm and he'll show yeah, it every I mean, time it's he probably, comes out. it probably dates back to of course that was his beginning and i'm sure 
you yeah, know, you know, and so he and they were trying to come. He's trying to come back a different couple of times, but I and then I think maybe with the whole thing with Vince McMahon, I think they kind of knew some things there, maybe. So maybe that's why he didn't come back right away. Um, and then it just wasn't the timing. So again, now he's part of WWE. I mean, he's he's on the board of directors, and and oh, so okay. and, and and so he got paid thirty million dollars to come <laughs> come be a part of it. <laughs> I so guess I, I'd come back too. Yeah. So I mean, but I'm, is it, is it just, as a fan, it's interesting to see, cause is he, is he going to try to make a power trip and come back and take it all? You know, who knows? Mm-hmm. Cause the guy, Nick yes. Khan, who's like, who's the head of WWE is also his agent. So, oh, okay. yeah. So, so it's all, go. it's all a very entangled web, you know? And yeah. so, and so us as fans, we, at the end of the day, we win, you know? So I think it's neat to have, like you said, it's neat to have him back. I'm glad he finally came back because it's been teased for a couple of years. I mean, whenever we do our wrestling prediction, I would, I'd always predict The Rock's coming back to fight Roman Reigns. They go, shut up with it, Carlos. And so I, I see, finally, I finally got my way after I quit predicting it. So um, I think it's fun, like you said. Having, having the biggest movie star in the world be a part of it is cool. Having somebody like Bad Bunny wrestle, uh, Logan Paul. I mean, it's mm-hmm. pretty neat. You know, I think it's a fun time. It's fun, like you said, it's a fun time for a fan, you know. I think so. I think so. So, Carlos, before we start the story, why don't you tell me a little bit about you? All right. Um, I'm third generation uh, Mexican-American born in the United States. So my grandma was born here. My mom was born here. Um you know, I've been through a lot of things in my life. I've dealt with addiction. I've dealt with, you know, coming out. And I think those two kind of things came kind of hand in hand a little bit, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I just, I really found my way, you know, the thing that I kind of realized through, like God doesn't give us nothing we can't handle, you know? And so I'm a very right. big believer in that. Um, and that's what I try to do. I'm trying to build my platform on X. You know, I have 41,000 followers now. Um, and with that, I don't know what I want to do with it. I, right now. You know, I do a lot of food posts and wrestling, but like, I want to try to make a difference in this world, you know, like my go- my mission in life is to try to leave the world better than I found it, you know, and, and I think if oh, we all nice. did that, that's the beautiful. world would be a better place tomorrow, you know, but because I, I think we're just, the world's getting more selfish and and and, and as people are just becoming more, by the day, we need to just learn to be more selfless, you know, and yeah. so I, you know, every morning I do a positivity thing. Um, I don't know what I do in my life. I think about going into politics sometimes because I think that we, I think we need to realize as, as citizens, like, why can't, why couldn't it be you? You know, I think, if, right. I think, I think people in, in this world today are, are so designed to real, to think that they it can't be them, but it can be you, you know, like you can be the one that makes a difference. You can't be the one that makes a difference in this world. I feel like everyone just feels so de- down and out and it's like, no, we need people to help lift people up. And so that's what I try to do is just try to be positivity. Uh, try to, you know, I try to live my life. I don't, you know, I'll, I don't, I'm, I give more grace than most. And I get, I give, and I, and I give more um, forgiveness than most because that's just mm-hmm. what I've been taught to do. You know, like I've been given more grace and more forgiveness and more, and, you know, so I'm, I just, I try to, I'm willing to give that more back to people than other people are just because, that's what I've been taught to do by my higher power, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm just you, a person living life. Goosebumps. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but oh, you know, I love you even more now. Oh yeah, I do. I mean, I always see you. I don't see all the posts because yeah. actually the past couple months have been hard to get on there. But, um, by the way, my, my vote is still McDonald's French fries. I'm sorry, <laughs> but I can eat McDonald's or five guys with no ketchup. Well, McDonald's <laughs> are hot. They're the best fries ever. But that's the thing. But like, to me, like consistency for me is like, it's a Wendy's fry. Cause Wendy, I always go there and it's always hot and fresh with McDonald's is hit and miss sometimes, but, it, but it, yeah, you can yeah. get those cold cardboard fries, but yeah, if they're, hot, they yeah, are... if they're hot, they're the best though. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but but that... I, I don't mean to complain about their apple pies, but they are not the same as they were back in the eighties. No, nothing is, you know, nothing <laughs> nope. is. Yeah. But but that's what I try to do too, you know, like even like, I, and it's just so funny because I think people are just so pessimistic. Like, like last year during the Chris, like 
again, realize, re being monetized and realizing I couldn't do it without people helping me. Like I did a giveaway last year for Christmas. I think it was like up to like $160 and people were like pessimistic. Like, why are you doing this? I'm like, cause that's what I've been like. If you have learned in the world, if you give something away, you'll get it back tenfold. And I wish more exactly. people just realized that like, like if you don't worry about money and again, I'm not, I'm a, I work part-time cause I want to keep my free medical, you know, like I just, I, you know, like I, you know, it is, and that's what it is. I don't have a lot either, but I just, but same time, I don't, I don't harp on that kind of stuff because it'll mm -hmm. be given to me, you know? Right. And so people, and want, well, people want it instantly. You have to understand that it's not going to, it may not be today or tomorrow. But you'll get it back one way or the other. Yeah, and, and even like with X, you know, like people like they're trying to build their platforms too. And I go, you gotta, you gotta put the work in. And if you, mm -hmm. and that's why I tell them, if you believe in yourself, then you're putting work on in on yourself, right? So at the end of the day, like, I that's why I try to help you love yourself first. You know, that's one thing I try to teach people too. Is like, you got to be your best advocate in life, right? So learn to stand up for yourself. Give give yourself the same time you give somebody else. Make 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 some time to be selfish. You know, like you know, like you got to make that yep. me time. You know, like take some time for yourself. Give yourself the grace you give to anybody else. Like, you know, like if you're not gonna be your own advocate, then who's gonna, you know? No one's gonna. If you're not gonna stand up for yourself, then who, why would anyone else stand up for you too? You know, right. and that's what I try to teach people. Like, like don't don't apologize for who you are. Like stand up for yourself, and and you know, and 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 have that pride in yourself. You know, and learn to love yourself. And when people can do that, like this, the world's just a lot better place. Yeah, well, and I think this is, and I've said it many times. The this is the downfall of well, the downside of social media. You look at that post, and it looks like that person's life is perfect, and they're pro they're probably falling apart worse than you are. You know, you got to understand everybody's in the same boat, and if you just understand that you're just as good as the next next person i think everybody would be a little i think the world would just be better everybody's comparing everything is keeping up with the joneses and it's the thing is there it's always a fake it, it, it's a picture it's that's all it is and that's what i try to tell people too it's like i have a lot of crazy stuff going on in my life but at the same time i don't let it affect me like i can only mm -hmm. do what i can do right so again like you like something you learn recovery you accept that things you cannot change the courage you change the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference right and so mm -hmm. i feel like and again i'm grateful that, that i've gone through recovery because it's taught me how to like to deal with things but it's like yeah. If someone doesn't like me, I can't change that about them. So why am I going to focus on that and let them negative, let their negative energy bring me down? Like, like, right. and that's why I tell people, like, I know my self-worth. I know I'm a good person. I know I'm somebody I'd want to be friends with. So somebody who doesn't want to be my friend, that's their loss. Like, you know, that's exactly. what I, you know, like, and that's, you know, and when, and when you have that self-worth, like it just, it makes, it makes, it's just crazy. Like, and I don't like, even like that, I don't realize how much of a difference I make in somebody's day. Like when it comes to, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. You're so nice to me all the time. And it's like, why wouldn't I be treat treat people how you want to be treated? You know, I think mm -hmm. if, I think yep. if people start going back to that golden rule, we'd be a lot better off. You know, I I feel like there's just a lot of bad behavior going on in the world right now, and and I feel like you ever watch the you ever you ever read that short story, the lottery in school, where it was like the um the kids were like it was like it was like a farm town and they would they would sacrifice somebody every year for like the lottery like so like they would all like they would all pick a stone out and whoever got the one stone the, this town would stone that person to death it's like a, it's we it read this sounds, in high school it sounds yeah. similar it sounds like i think we've read it or we and went then, over yeah i'm actually they yeah. made a movie about it i think a little bit but it's just like one of those things where like once somebody gets a taste of bad behavior they want to keep on doing it mm -hmm. and that's what the story was showing because this little girl was all sad and then and then when she starts throwing the stones at her mom she kind of like she likes it you she know felt like, she felt better she felt better you know and it's and that's what the story tells us like 
we gotta fight those we gotta fight those things because I feel like it's so easy to want it. Like if you have a bad day to go take it on somebody else, but don't just stop it. You know, stop it at your doorstep and don't and don't yep. take it on somebody else because you never like you just said, you know, you never know what someone else is dealing with in their life, you know. So if you just show people the kindness you that maybe someone else didn't show you, it can mm-hmm. just make a whole difference in somebody's day. Right. You don't know somebody's story. I mean, you're like, oh, that person was a real bitch. Because something happened at home and she doesn't even know that she was giving off that vibe something you know you don't know you don't know somebody's story you need to take a deep breath and say you know maybe they're dealing with something and move on it's not oh, yeah, always you, about yeah it's not always about, like, i think i've read something once it's like somebody's in a bad mood you know don't be so self-centered assuming it's because of you exactly yeah right <laughs> but exactly it's true though you know yeah and it's and that's the thing i you know i used to I worked with this girl at a credit a long time ago and she was kind of a bitch, you know? And like, mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I wanted to focus on that so badly. But then I was looking at her desk one day and I'm looking at the pictures of her kids on her desk and I'm looking, and then I'd watch how she was with her, with her grandkids when she came in and she was like a totally different person. And that's what I realized. I was like, you know what? I can focus on the two negative things about her and, and not like, and not like her. Mm-hmm. Or I can focus on the ninety-eight good things about her. Exactly. And 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 realize that she is a mother. She is a grandmother. She is she is somebody's best friend. She's somebody's you know she's somebody's you know go-to. And so I just started treating her differently and and just and just having like a just different friendship. And we were like best friends because I just I ch- chose to to again you got to take the good with the bad. And I think that's what mm-hmm. people need to realize today too because I feel like that's another thing we're learning today is that <coughs> you could be so quick to want to turn somebody off you know like even with me like you know I don't, like even somebody has a different political affiliation than i do online i don't go block them or take them off because maybe right. i'm the one person that they'll listen to one day and we can have a conversation you know but it, mm-hmm. until we cannot start talking like that nothing will ever change like we right. got to be able to 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 sell it to 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 like have a just a better way towards our differences and celebrate our similarities you know and i think again just the world be a lot better off if we did that you know Oh, I love it. I I, I love <laughs> you, you more now, Carlos. <laughs> I loved you before. I love you more now. Um, and again, what- I, I can have these conversations because the thing is like, again, like when you, when you're people like you, you, I can just tell like you both have a kind soul, you know, and, and it just comes across the way you talk to each other, the way you talk. So again, I can talk, stand up, up with these things about you because I, I know that you're somebody who, who relates with me, you know? And so like, again, like, you just pick people's natural energy up. So again, I, I vote, I'm a, the minute I listened to you guys, I was a big fan too. And again, well, like I said, honored to have this conversation <laughs> with you in order to be here. This is fantastic. Thank you, Carlos. That's so sweet. Um, all right. Well, I think you need to go to bed soon. Cause you are on the other <laughs> side of the world for me. Where are you? I'm in California. You're in yeah. California. I'm yeah. in Greece. There's a large gap in time. So I think we need to get to the story. I hope I picked yeah, a good go. one for you. All right. Um, You'll hear my papers flying because I have a teeny tiny little desk here and stuff gets thrown around everywhere. So she's in her big studio, guys. I know what she's talking about. <laughs> she's like, I'm in, I'm in my big studio too right now. Right? That's right. <laughs> We're like Conan O'Brien, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Our private jet's out. So that's why we had to do it from home today. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. It needed to be gassed up. Hey, everyone. It's John. And Carlos. And you're listening to the Wrestling Fans Insight, where you can catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Pods, iHeartRadio, and much more every Sunday and Wednesday. But most of all, stay tuned and keep laughing and learning with Chris and Deb. At Today We Laughed and Learned. Hi, Chris and Deb here. We want to take just a moment to tell you about the ultimate all-in-one podcasting solution. We are talking about a 
one-stop shop where you can record, edit, distribute, and even monetize your podcast. That's right. We are talking about Zencaster. As you know by listening to our podcast, we are a little bit technically challenged, but Zencaster saved the day. All we have to do is log on and press record. It can't get much easier than that. We've been using Zencaster since day one and can't help but notice they're getting better and better. We all know Zencaster provides high quality audio. It, it records in 16-bit 48K wave audio per guest and regardless of your internet connection. And very important, there is no time limit. Plus, they keep you recording, so there's no need to panic about losing it. And for me, personally, I love that it records on separate tracks to make my editing easier. Not into editing? No worries. Zencaster has got you covered. They offer a post-production process that makes your voice buttery smooth. And better yet, it removes all those annoying ums and awkward pauses. By the way, Zencaster's not just audio. Their video is just as amazing. It records up to 4K. That's to give you that professional quality your podcast deserves. Listen, we didn't even cover everything. There is so much more. So if you want to make your podcasting journey the easiest it can be, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use our code today. We laughed and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experience that we do for all of your podcasting and content needs. Again, for 30% off your first month, go to Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com slash pricing. And use our code TODAYWELAUGHED. That's one word. It's time for you to share your story. All right. So <laughs> today I'm going to tell you what I find to be kind of a fascinating story. It's a crime. And it happened actually not too long ago. 1990, in fact. So about 34 years ago. This is a crime that has actually stumped law enforcement to this day. I am talking about the largest art heist in history. And this comes from Boston's very own Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not an artsy person, so I really didn't care about it. I'm like, oh, okay, bummer. But actually, the story is kind of fascinating. So a little background on Isabella herself and her museum. So... Isabella Stewart was born in New York City in 1840 to a very well-to-do family. Her father, David, made his riches by importing Irish linens. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds very richy-rich to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you really hear that anymore. But that yes, that's how he made his cash. And then later on, he did all kinds of investments in like railroads, mines, mills, all the st big stuff of the time. So because of his wealth, she obviously went to private school. and. It, and went to finishing school in Paris. Now, Carlos, I'm not from the richy rich world. If you're anything like me, you've heard of finishing school, but didn't really know what it was. So I figured I'd look it up. Now, I believe Isabella would have gone to what's known as an academic finishing school, which would be like a college that, but the emphasis would be on teaching young women how to show off their social graces and upper class cultural rights, you know, in preparation for society. I didn't go there. Anyway, so, <laughs> so it's while she's in finishing school that Isabella meets John, I'm um, sorry, Jack Gardner, whom she eventually marries a few days before her 20th birthday. God, can I, 20 years old and getting married. Crazy. Um, they move into a home on Beacon Street in Jack's hometown of Boston. Now, here's a fun fact. Her father gifted that home as a wedding gift. And if you know anything about Beacon Street, even back then, it was a little ritzy, a little ritzy. <laughs> So 
1863, Isabella gave birth to her little Jackie, and sadly, he passed away a little before two years old from pneumonia. And about a year later, she suffered a miscarriage and is told she can't have children anymore, and this is what sends her into a deep depression. A couple years go by, and her doctor advises Jack to take Isabella out of Boston. Go, travel the world. Which, to me, like the 1800s, traveling the world seems very difficult to me. <laughs> Yeah, right, load the wagon. Yeah, like heck no. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know how you think about the 1800s, but I think of it being, you know, I don't know. It just seems carriages. Very... Yeah, courses and carriages. Is what I'm picturing. Right, but no, I. But the other big thing of travel was obviously ships, and so yeah, that's yes, what they did. Yeah. They boarded a ship, which I can't imagine staying on a ship for like a month to get to Europe. But who am I? I I argue like when the flight from here to Boston is more than 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> How many, uh, how many, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no, find another ticket. That's too long. <laughs> so anyway, so she is advised to travel and rumor has it. She was actually loaded onto the ship on a mattress. That's how deep of a depression she was. Oh in. my goodness. Well, they take almost a year to travel Europe, Scandinavia, and Russia. And when she returns, she's feeling better. And she sets her wheels in motion, trying to establish herself as a, a fashionable socialite. And she becomes patron of the performing arts. And then she begins to have an appreciation for visual arts, you know, like painting, sculptures, all that stuff. So one of her friends, he, an art critic, Bernard Berenson, he sounds like an art critic, encourages Isabella to start collecting different kinds of pieces of art while she's traveling, you know? So when you're in Europe, pick up a bunch of stuff. And by 1894, her Beacon Street home is loaded with treasures. Because remember, they're very rich. So she's got all these treasures but it isn't until she buys a 1629 rembrandt self-portrait oh wow that she realizes her art kind of needs a home it needs a proper museum so the gardener set out to find land so they can build this museum themselves and now you're thinking okay the family has money right but do they have like museum money Evidently, yes. Il Isabella's father had died in 1891 and he left her 2.75 million and you're like, eh, okay. Except Back then, oh, oh, I wonder what the rate is at that now. My oh, about 78 million. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Daddy. Exactly. <laughs> Damn those Irish linens. <laughs> Plus, Jack was no slouch. He actually had he was worth around 2.5 million. So all in all, when you combine them, they had about 142 million dollars in today's money. Wow. So yes, they had we can build a museum money. Now, they chose a piece of land in the section of Boston called the Fenway. I think you're familiar with it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Back then, they picked it mostly because it was actually a remote section of town, but it had some great uh, natural light. And the city had just built a big, beautiful park there. So it was going to fit in well. And their plans were to have this museum look like a Venetian palace with grand public rooms and a big interior garden. Sadly, on December 10th, 1898, Jack actually died. Her husband. Oh my he died of a stroke. And now Isabella is left to do this project on her own, which she does. She oversees everything, every last detail. It had to be perfect until her vision was created. And finally, on February of 1903, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is open to the public. And now thousands of people can enjoy, can enjoy her collection of like 2,500 pieces. Oh, my gosh. Which, by the way grows before she dies to over 7,500 fine and decorative art objects, 2,700 rare books and manuscripts, and over 8,000 historic objects from around the world. Wow. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, she started in 1903. 1919, she uh, suffered a stroke, which left her ha partially paralyzed. 
Did and they have kids? I forgot that. Did you, did you mention they had kids or not? Well, she had had the miscarriage and she had the one that died. But evidently in the story somewhere, Jack's brother had passed away. He committed suicide and they adopted his two his two sons. Gotcha. Okay. So she did have a couple. Of, there's actually not a lot. She she was actually supposedly a very interesting woman. Um, Kind of ran around a little bit. Like she was into, she was very friendly. But she said she was friendly with gay men. Which I don't know how popular. I was gonna say she sounds. She sounds like it's like it's like the like what we call like and not a badger. We call like the bag hag. The yeah, little, like the lady who hang, she hangs around with all the gay boys. That's what I was like thinking when you were just talking about her right now. And she's I get, like, yeah, let's go have some fun. Yeah, yeah and it <laughs> sounds like that's what she was. Although people like the newspapers and stuff painted her a little differently. But it sounds like she was just found the people to. Uh, and probably someone they they like put an, put their arm around her and people didn't judge them. You know, like just someone to go have this fun time with. Exactly. Know? But if she had correspond correspondence with you in a letter. And I think it's because of how she was living her life. She made people burn her car- correspondence and she burned her side. So there's a lot of wow. things that nobody knows about. Smart because lady. She- She's very smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad she didn't tuck them away. Seriously. Right. She could have wrote a book for classes for people today. You know? <laughs> for sure. So like I said, 1903, she opened it and she died in 24. And in that time, she gathered all that artwork. Um, so... She passes away. She leaves the museum money. Depends on what website you look at as to how much was left. <laughs> it varied anywhere from 1.2 million to 3.6 million, which means by today's standards, anywhere from 22 million to 58 million, which is a big gap. But wow, damn internet. But what they all agree on is her will. It was an ironclad will that stipulated all the painting and artwork should stay exactly the same as she left it. And the museum was not allowed to purchase any new artwork and they were not allowed to sell any artwork. So that museum today looks exactly like it did in, ni- in 1924. Nothing's Is it still called ad- the same name? Yep. Nothing's been wow. added. Nothing's been taken away. It's exactly the same. So in, if any, anybody went against this, in her will, it says all existing pieces are to be... Uh, if anyone went against it, the artwork would be given to the Museum of Fine Arts and the Isabel Sturt Gardner Museum would be closed immediately. So you couldn't do anything with it. So does the city own it now? Or No, they still, no. It's still it's under private, her. private? Yep. Wow. And that probably sounded all fine and good in 1924, but it proved to be very difficult for the museum by the 1980s. And honestly, these stipulations are most likely the reason the heist was able to take place. See, by today's standards, you would think that a museum with such an extensive collection would have state-of-the-art security, right? Sure. Except by the 1980s, the museum was running out of money. Not to mention the upgrades they needed to do um, were hindered by the stipulations in the will. She was, they, you know, they weren't allowed to change anything. So this museum didn't have climate control for their artwork. Which oh is goodness. a big deal. <laughs> you've got Rembrandt. You've got all kinds of stuff like that. And one woman, the caretaker, what I hear the other day, I was watching a documentary. She says, we actually watched a cloud form in one of the rooms once because the humidity was so high out and so high in. And this, it was in the room with like this really poosh poosh expensive painting. She's like, we could see a cloud forming. It was unreal. <laughs> So, yeah, so that was an issue. And they actually need money for insurance, for an insurance policy. They didn't have that. And they lacked any sort of decent security system. And the building itself was falling apart. But the money was running out. You know, I mean, if it was $22 million since 24, I mean, 
that's a lot of money. You know, the money kind of goes. So it wasn't until 1982 they allocated some funds and they put in 60 motion detectors around the paintings and stuff. And, you know, th those don't connect to the police department. That's just an alarm like you stepping too close, you know. Uh, and they installed a closed circuit TV that showed like four cameras around the perimeter outside. And they only added these because the FBI had warned them that the museum was um, being watched by some local art thieves. And they were plotting Robert, which I think in 1982, the cameras, can you imagine what? <laughs> yeah, like a little a little monitor like this. Can you imagine like, the quality? Like four inch gray, black and white monitor. I know. And the quality on the camera. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So they never added cameras inside, nor did they install more than one panic button. There was one panic button located at the front desk where security sat. Nowhere else. Not in the director's office. Not yeah. So in 1988, an independent contractor actually recommended some improvements that honestly they couldn't afford, including paying the uh, security guards a higher wage. So the museum would have experienced security guards. Instead, they kept hiring newbies just over minimum wage, which if you're curious what minimum wage in Boston was in 1988, $3.75 an hour. Oh my so gosh. they were paying probably like $4 an hour to for oh. these security guards to watch over these Billions of dollars of art. So this just seemed to kind of create the perfect storm. So now, it's the wee hours of March 18th, 1990. St. Patrick's Day relevers are still partying in the streets. Because if anybody knows anything about Boston, St. Patrick's Day is practically a religious holiday in Boston. Got an uh, Irish immigrant, so it's a huge deal. Oh, I can only imagine, yeah. Yeah. And it's also, like I said, it's 88, you know. People are still going out in the streets and partying. stuff. And things aren't closing down at 10 a.m. At 10 p.m. So there are two guards on duty, Rick Abbott, he's 23, and Randy Hested, he's 25. Rick was a music school dropout and the member of a rock band. And by his own admission, he said he would show up to work rather drunk or stoned after a performance many times. Oh, uh, he also said that his job was the absolute most boring thing in the world, but he insists he was sober that evening. <laughs> Uh, sure. and, the, and the poor other guard, Randy, well, that was his very first night on that shift. So, oh, my gosh. I know. I feel bad for And actually, you don't hear too much about from Randy. So at 1254, a fire alarm goes off on the third floor of the museum. Or so they said it went off. Yeah, it's questionable. The floor wasn't investigated and no fire was found. No one knows if this was part of the thieves' plan. I, you know, I was thinking like as a distraction or something like this, so they can get in the door, maybe see if the police show up, that kind of thing. But nobody knows. But what we do know is um, at 124, about 30 minutes later, the buzzer is pressed outside and Rick Abbott sees two police officers outside the door and hear them say, police, Boston police, we got a report of a disturbance on the premises. And I'm thinking that's why they set off the fire alarm. Also, why they picked March 18th as the streets. You know, maybe they said the disturbance was the fire alarm. Maybe it was the people in the streets. March 18th, police are going to be busy. You know. Um, so, anyway, even though it was completely against protocol, um, the museum had a list of rules and you don't let people in at night. Rick just buzzes them Not in. Not even the police. <laughs> <laughs> and these two police officers ask Rick if he's alone. And he says, no, my partner's doing a round. Uh, to which the cop says, hey, tell him to get down here. Then they trick Rick into coming out from behind the desk, where, again, the only panic button is. And they tell Rick, huh, you look familiar. I think we have a, a warrant out for your arrest. 
So they so they turn him around. They handcuff him. Oh my yeah. So Abbott complies and he's handcuffed. At which poor Randy enters the office and he's you know thrown against the wall and handcuffed too. Now the shorter the two thieves says, gentlemen, this is a robbery. Then they bound the guards' hands and feet and with duct tape. They brought the two down this flight of stairs into the basement. They handcuffed um, the first the poor Randy to a workbench and Rick to a steam pipe. And they leave them there. They take their wallets and say, now we know where you live. So don't say anything. So the thieves' movements are recorded on these infrared motion sensors. And now it's one for, uh, 1.48 in the morning. And they approach what's called the Dutch room. Which sets off those alarms. Like a big buzzer went off. It's They got too close to a painting, basically. They didn't care. They grabbed the alarm and they just smashed it. So then they removed two pieces of Rem- two pieces of art. Rembrandt's only seascape. It's called The Storm of the Sea of Galilee. And Rembrandt's 1633, A Lady and Gentleman in Black. Where they smashed the frames against the floor. Now, this is artwork. Like, this is priceless artwork that they're stealing. And they smashed the frame against the floor to break the glass. And then they proceed to crudely, with a box cutter, cut, well, they assume box cutter, cut the paintings out of the frames. They don't take the backings off. They cut them out. Now, these paintings are priceless, really. And anyone stealing them would undoubtedly be careful removing them. I don't know. But it's strange. What's also strange is these guys weren't just grabbing anything. They were very specific. So they knew what they were going for. So then they grabbed Vermeer's The Concert. That alone is estimated to be worth as much as $300 million. Then oh they grabbed goodness. Flink's Landscape with an Obelisk and also a tiny postage size Rembrandt self-portrait that they took time to take out of the frame, which is strange because they could have just put the whole thing in the pocket. So on their way out of the room, they grab a Chinese speaker from the Shang era, which isn't worth a whole lot. And then at 1.51 a.m., the detector catches them running into another room there they grab five more paintings which i don't mean grab i mean they slowly take them off and they're smashing them cutting them out and everything and they also try to steal a napoleon flag out of its case but somehow they got flustered by that and they just grabbed the worthless fennel you know what a fennel is it's like that eagle on top of a flag it's that top of a f- oh yeah, the yeah top of the flagpole so it's just decorative really really not worth anything oddly the last works they stole was from what's called the blue room it was a Edward Manitz, Manet's Shea Tortini. Oddly, it didn't set off the motion detector. The only thing that detected was two times that Abbott had gone in there earlier. So supposedly the way, so this question, did Abbott grab it? Man, we'll get into that. So before leaving. So where, did, where, 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 where are all these alarms going to right nowhere. now? Nowhere. They're just, just look, they're just oh, in there. They're, they're like telling in, you. Just internal system? Yep. You're telling you you're getting too close <laughs> oh, to the, uh. The it's like, only... the, like the things you left at the department stores now and they beat yes. at you. <laughs> the, oh, right. You try to oh, use okay. the iPad and you can't. Yeah. The only, yeah. the only way you can contact the police is that panic button. Was that panic button? Yep. Wow. Okay. And which That's crazy. It shocked me back to that fire alarm. And why the question is, did the fire alarm really go off? Because wouldn't that alert the fire department? Right. They didn't come out. I would think so. Yeah. So, so, so we don't know if the fire alarm ever went off or not. Right. It, it was reported. It you know, they said, or Abbott said it went off, but we don't know if it really went off. Okay. So before leaving, the thieves check on the guards and ask if they're comfortable, which was nice. Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> and then they kick open the security director's door and take the VHS recordings of them entering the building. 
and they grab the digital printout of the motion detector equipment. Now picture a printer going. It's one of those. Um, but understand it's 1990. These guys probably didn't realize what a hard drive was. So printout or no printout, they knew where they were. And one last note, the thieves leave an empty frame from the Shea Tortoni on the art director's chair. It was kind of like giving him a snub, you know? This whole thing didn't happen in 10 minutes. This thing took 81 minutes. That is an incredible time that these guys took. They obviously knew the police were not coming. Uh, 10 minutes is a long time for a robbery. Never mind almost an hour and a half. They nabbed 13 pieces of art valued to this day at over $600 million. That's that's over half a billion dollars. And no one has ever been arrested for the art, for the crime. And the art has never been found. So who did it? Well, many are looking at our friend Rick Abbott. The security guard. Why? Well, it reeked of an inside job, and a lot of art thievery involves inside people. He has his own private island now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they've they've interviewed him. No, he's he doesn't. But we do know Abbott went against protocol. He let those two men in the door. Also, Abbott was known for blabbing about how bad the security guard was. So who knows who he blabbed to? Uh, He also had other people in the museum after hours in the past. This was not his first time buzzing someone in. Uh, He's had friends come visit him. And he even one time moved a party from where they were into the museum at night. Oh, my gosh. And they still had this guy on. Uh, Also that night, about 20 minutes before the robbery, for some reason, Abbott had opened and closed a side door. Which, if you're a night guard, you're not going to open a door, right? Um, He wasn't supposed to do that. He claims he does it all the time. He was just checking the alarm, which doesn't make sense. Or was he signaling somebody? You know, was that the signal? Like, Mm. coast is clear. Uh, And let's not forget, there is one painting missing from the blue room. And yet it's only Abbott's footsteps that are recorded. So did he grab the painting? Um, Oh, and did I mention Abbott had already put in his two weeks notice. And Ab- you did not mention that. That's yeah. yeah that's how, heck of <laughs> he also couldn't recall uh, the men's faces. I think he eventually does, but he, at the time, he's like, "Oh, I don't, re- I don't remember." And something else I read too, which was funny. He was like, he had Grateful Dead tickets the next night, and he had said in interviews as the years go on, saying, "Oh, I, I just want to put this behind me. I don't want to even think about it. Um, I'm just glad to be alive." Yet he seemed to get over it because he still drove an hour and a half to Hartford to get uh, <laughs> to go to the Grateful Dead the next night. So <laughs> To go to the concert. Yeah, he wasn't that shaken. I'm not saying that. <laughs> so if it wasn't an inside job, how did the thieves know to bring him uh, out of the desk, open a secret door by the Rem- There was a secret door by the Rembrandt paintings that was opened, which they could have just seen it. I probably more like Colin. Um, how did the thieves know to grab the VHS tape and where the, the printout? And why would they have 81 relaxing minutes to get these paintings? So it sounds to me a little sus. (laughs) He was supposedly cleared by the FBI. Um, I don't know how. I I feel like they, I feel like they kept him free and were watching him. I don't know. I just kind of feel like it. Like they didn't have enough to nab him, I'm thinking. But I'll bet they kept watching him. Anyway, so who else were they looking at? 
1990, everyone was probably looking at Whitey Bulger. He was the most powerful crime boss in Boston at the time. Not sure if you've heard of him. He was heading up what was known as the Winter Hill Gang. He, of course, denied involvement, but he dispatched his subordinates to find out who did it because he needed to be paid his tribute because that was his area. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's, you know, come on. Now, Whitey had strong ties with the police department, so that could be where, if Whitey did it, he could get the uniforms. Or he had his own officers under his uh, under his payroll that he could have had done it. Also, um, he had strong ties to the IRA, the Irish Republican Party. And their calling card was actually to set off a fire alarm before they do a heist. Oh, wow. Uh, there is no proof that they were involved, but, of course, still, you can't. You can't say they didn't do it, just doesn't have proof for it. So Bulger, Bulger would have crazy. Bulger would have given the art to the IRA, and the art would probably most likely be in Ireland. But so then there's another guy called Brian McDevitt. Who's he? Well, he went to jail for planning a very similar robbery. See, back in the early 80s in New York, McDermott took over an, a FedEx truck actually by smothering the driver with ether. Was ether still around? Is it still? <laughs> And he put on the un- he put on the FedEx uniform and with he armed himself with a roll of duct tape. Now the plan was to bind the guards with the tape and then cut priceless Rembrandts out of the frames. Unfortunately, Mc- <laughs> McDevitt and his goons got stuck in traffic, and they arrived at the museum when it was closed, so they could never pull it off. Um, and one last nugget on McDevitt: he lived about ten minutes away from the Gardner Museum. So, mm. but who else did the FBI have eyes on? Well. They kind of turned their eyes to the Boston's Italian Mafia. I told you we were ripe with uh, (laughs) people. There's a few reasons. One being that in the early 90s, Boston began cracking down on organized crime. In fact, the robbery occurred just days, days before dozens of mobsters were set to be indicted. Now, this news was so big that the heist didn't even make the front page of the newspapers. These paintings are worth almost, you know, at the time, half, a, you know, $500 million. And it didn't even make the front page of the Boston Herald. <laughs> but these mobsters did. So the feds know that art is art is actually a currency in the underworld, um, especially when it comes to jail time. And the fact that the heist happened so close to the indictments, the plan may have been to offer up the priceless art or at least, in, you know, giving information leading to the return of the art. For a reduced sentence or no jail time at all. Which brings me to a gentleman named Miles Connor Jr. Actually, the minute the feds heard about the robbery, they assumed Miles had done it. Because um, he had been in and out of jail for years for art theft. And he never stayed long. Oh my god! <laughs> he never stayed in jail long. And why? Because he almost always used art as currency. Famously, in 1975, Miles stole a Rembrandt from Boston's Museum of Fine Arts, which is near the Gardner. But this time, he didn't do it because he had a pretty good alibi. He was sitting in prison. But the feds thought he might know who did it. So they went to go have a chat. Miles tells them that an associate of his, Bobby Donati, well, he came to visit him and told Miles, Miles, we did a thing. And we're going to get you out. And according to Miles, he had taught Bobby all about how powerful stolen historical art is and how he can benefit from it when it comes to jail time or to the courts. So plus Miles and Donati back in 1970, they actually cased the Gardner Museum together. And as they were walking through, Donati had pointed out that eagle fennel, you know, the one that was stolen. He said, oh, I like that. 
So, oh, no. which out of all the stolen goods, that finial was basically, that was worth nothing. That was a strange thing for someone to take. So it's a head scratcher, perhaps. So what else happened? Um, Bobby Donati, he was connected to a cocaine supplier. It was the 80s. It was an Italian made man, you know, Carmelo Merlino. And he worked with like five basic guys and two of which the feds were looking at. One was George Reisfelder and one was Lenny DiMuzio. They were being watched because there had been this police sketch that came out about the thieves. Albeit there is some question as to the authenticity of these sketches because from what I know, the, I mean, Abbott didn't give a description of the guys. And honestly, we had a lot of crooked cops back then. So were they framing, you know, the question is, did they frame, you know, the sketches to look like a couple of guys, you know what I'm saying? So we're not too sure about the sketch, but they released these uh, police sketches. So these sketches look just like George and Lenny. So about a year after the heist, the feds are going to ta- go talk to George Reisfelder. Psh, unfortunately, wouldn't you know it? He died. Yeah. Oh. He died from a, a suspicious <laughs> drug overdose. And you're like, how's it suspicious? Well, for one, George hated, according to his family, George hated needles. So two, he was, um, he was found with a needle in his arm. <laughs> and three, he was found by that made man, Carmelo Marlino. And when the feds showed up and spoke to the Reisfelder family and showed them the missing paintings and said, do you know anything about this? Both his sister and his brother remember one of the paintings, the one from the blue room, being above his bed. But that was gone when uh, they found Reisfelder's body. So did Marlino kill off Reisfelder and grab the painting? Hmm. I'm thinking maybe. So my money's on that. But so then now they're going to go ask, talk to Lenny DiMuzio because he looks like the other guy in the sketch. But wouldn't you know it? Lenny was missing. Well, they did eventually find him. About three months after Reisfelder had overdosed. Unfortunately, they found him in the trunk of a car. And unfortunately, oh his body goodness. may have been riddled with bullets. So has this, has this, all, has this been made into a movie yet, this story? Because it sounds like, like I'm reading a screenplay right now. There, or you're reading me a screenplay. There are so many documentaries on this thing. But I don't know if they've ever made a movie. <laughs> I doubt it. But they're probably waiting for the ending if they find the paintings. So, right? yeah. So there's no talking to the museum. So now the feds are back to thinking about Bobby Donati, the one that Miles had spoken about. Um, he does actually have connections with Carmelo Molino, who is the cocaine dealer. <laughs> and they find out Bobby also liked horse racing, like big time, which this might explain why the thieves grabbed five uh, Degas, Degas? Is that his name? Degas? Degas? Sketches. Famous pain- painter. Anyway, because they were about riding horses. Might be far-fetched sketch, but they, they weren't worth a lot. So uh, anyway, again, the feds are a little late. Because see, about 18 months after the robbery, right when the feds are going to go talk to him, well, would you believe it? Donati was ambushed outside of his house. There had obviously been a struggle, and he was, well, stabbed many, many times. And a little slash across his neck that may have just about decapitated him. And he, too, was found in the trunk of a car. And although the murder still remains unsolved, when they searched the property, um, there were no paintings, but they found two police officer uniforms. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, the tangled web we would weave. So the trial goes, the trail goes cold. 
and the gardener changes the reward from one million to five million. You know, to kind of gain attention again. And the local paper, the Boston Herald, decides to see if they can find anything to do with it. And they decide to reach out to world-class art thief Miles Connor to see if he'll shed some light. So they call him in prison and they ask him about Donati, who sadly has passed. Miles says, yes, they were very good friends. And Donati knew of a trailer where Miles would keep his art collection. Donati had actually stolen the art that perhaps he would have put them in the trailer. So the Herald runs to go check the trailer. And of course, nothing. But stay with me. The newspaper discovered that the property caretaker, William Youngsworth, was secretly selling off all of Miles' art collection. (laughs) While Miles sat in jail, the caretaker of the land was selling off all his art collection and keeping the money. So he he has his gardener. He has a gardener looking over his stuff too. (laughs) Exactly. I need to be one. I need to be one of these gardeners, man. I'm in the wrong area. (laughs) Actually, what we need right now is a big board with red yarn to put all these people, but they're all interconnected. Um, So theoretically, Youngsworth, who you might be surprised, has ties to the mob. Um, He could have been selling off the the gardener paintings without really realizing it. Anyway, he told the reporter that he actually had the seascape Rembrandt and then he'd show it to him, but the feds need to drop any charges that were coming up against him. And the reporter agrees to talk to the feds, but he wants to see the painting. So this reporter, I don't know if he's smart or stupid, he gets blindfolded by this practically the stranger, gets into the stranger's car. This guy probably drives in circles, but he drives for quite a while and takes him to a warehouse where he just... He unfurls this big painting and he says, see, I have it. And then he wraps it back up again and takes the guy, you know, but the feds aren't convinced. They're questioning if it's a real painting or not. And according to the gardeners, the gardener museum, if he had rolled up the painting, the painting was already cracked. You know, if he had rolled up the painting and unfurled it, all the paint would have come off. You know, he would have destroyed the painting. So They've decided it was probably a fake. So the trail goes cold again. And then the reward goes up to 10 million. Miles is feeling chatty again. And he says his friend Donati did it. That if his friend Donati did it, it was most likely with this guy, Bobby Garante, who was a cocaine dealer. And his main supplier was Carmelo Molino. Garante was very connected. So if you're going to move something across the country, across the world, you're going to go to Garante. Now, Bobby Garante is dead. But this time from cancer. (laughs) He died of cancer in 2004. But um, the feds had learned that he had a secret spot in his house where he could store things and it would be the perfect spot for the painting. So, of course, they rush out there. And you can assume it's empty. Um, But his wife has a little something to say. She said that when Bobby got sick... They went to have dinner with their friend, Bobby Gentile, and his wife. And as you may have guessed, he too had mob connections. They went to Connecticut with Bobby Gentile and his wife. And she said that the two Bobbies went out during dinner and Bobby gave Gentile some of the paintings. She had seen some of the missing paintings. And he supposedly passed them off to Gentile and Gentile took them. Anyway, on the way home, her Bobby told her, you don't have to worry about those paintings anymore. Um, I took care of it. So now skip ahead to May 2012, 22 years later. We still have nothing. 22 years later, uh, Bobby Gentile is a sick man in his 70s. He has served a warrant to search his property. 
Then when that turns up empty, they get another search warrant, this time for a shed they see out back. So was there was was there still was there still a reward back was there still a reward in two thousand twelve? Yep, I think. Uh, yep, we are at five. Uh, we went up to ten million at this point. I think. Okay. Did we get up to ten? It's five million anyway. I'm. It goes up to ten million at some point. I think it's we've gone up there, but it's yeah. a lot of money. Uh, I think it was Sotheby's yeah. and another auction house actually they put up the reward because the museum doesn't have that money. I think it was Sotheby's and somebody else who put up the money. So we're gonna get a search warrant for the shed. Um, and now it's 2012. And so now we got all kinds of search stuff. We got DNA, we got sound detectors, we got everything, you know, video, all those things. So they do find a void under the shed. Um, by the way, FYI, if you steal antique paintings, don't put them under the shed, not a good place for them, but it turns up empty, except they do find a couple things in his basement. They find a newspaper from the day after the heist, along with a piece of paper that he wrote with the name of each piece of art and the black market price on it. Now, along with that, they also found a boatload of guns in several Boston police uniforms. I swear they give these things out like candy. So to avoid jail time, no cocaine. I mean, what's wrong? <laughs> I know. Seriously. <laughs> um, now he's in the seventies. He's sick. He's dying. He, he says, okay, I'll agree to anything. I'll, I'll go on a polygraph. So they ask him all these questions about the paintings. Have you seen this painting? He's no, no, no. Have you, do you know where the paintings went? No, no, no. He failed every question. <laughs> he didn't, he supposedly didn't know anything about paintings or anything like that. I don't think he was nervous. He just failed the polygraph. So he, they put him in jail. Um, a short while later, his lawyer gets a call that Gentile is dying in the hospital. And he finds Gentile in, the, uh, Gentile in the hospital and Gentile is saying he can't die here. I want to go home. I don't want to die in this hospital. So the lawyer says, tell them what they want to know so you can go home. Be with your wife. You know, if you're going to, you know, be in your bed, be in your own bed. So with tears coming down his cheeks, he looks at his lawyer and says, there ain't no paintings, kid. There ain't no paintings. So the last person of interest died September 17th, 2021 at the age of 85. So where are the paintings? The FBI thinks they went from Boston to Connecticut to Pennsylvania and beyond. But did they? I mean, unless, don't you think, Carlos, if one person had, you know, if, if these paintings got distributed to all different people, something would have shown up in 34 years? Like somebody somewhere would have tried to sell a painting or sell the cup or something, right? So... Somebody would have bragged about having yeah. something. Some, something would have got leaked. Or somebody died and they got it as an inheritance and they didn't want it. And they decided to sell it. Because all, I mean, you can't sell art, above, you know, not in the black market, obviously, but you can't sell it. All those things get checked. They're, um, they're researched. They'd see if they've been stolen. You can't just up and sell them. So somebody, it's amazing that after 35 years, there wasn't one piece that tried to hit the market. I don't know. Because well, it's if, like if you if, so, if someone gave it to you, it's worthless to you. So even if you even if you gave it in for the reward, that like to me this is like such a travesty because it's like you can't do nothing right. with them. Like it's like the like yeah. Well, and, and you know they that do so think you know the original thought is that they've gone overseas. Like the like Saudi Arabia is big on getting artwork. Russia places oh, like that, that makes sense. A prince, but yeah. again, I mean it is only thirteen pieces, but it is thirteen pieces. So it just seems strange to me that hasn't cropped up yeah. cropped up somewhere. So, you know, the question is, were they under Gentile's shed, you know, and maybe there was a flood, you know, a rainy winter and they got destroyed. Um, 
my god! I mean, theoretically, <laughs> even Gentile, he could have hid them or buried them, and these people have since died. You know, if you don't leave a note saying where you're going to find it, it could be underground somewhere. It could be in a storage shed somewhere, you know? And they would have been ruined by now by humanity. Oh, yeah, for like sure. That, for sure. Um, so <sighs> the question is, are they ever going to crop up? <laughs> Just one. But what we do know is that the FBI has concluded that Ricefelder and Demuzio were the thieves, they've said. Uh, evidently, the... So if so if someone else turned them in, so if someone so if the paintings got brought up now, would they would they would the person be able to do it freely since those guys were accused of the crime? Glad you asked. Evidently the statute of limitations has passed on the crime of art theft. Okay, so nice. the FBI okay. is solely focused on retrieving the artwork. And that means even if you were the one to go steal it, or if you had any involvement or knew about it or whatever, you go to the feds, you don't get arrested, and you get ten million dollars as long as they're re- recovered. So <laughs> as I wrap this up, I came across one last interesting piece of info. I had assumed the museum had insurance, but actually they didn't. They it had insurance for everything. <sighs> exactly. <laughs> they had everything but theft. So if there had been a fire, they were all set. But it, but they were not insured for theft. And adding theft would have cost them almost $3 million a year. Their budget was $2.8 million for the whole museum. Um, and fun fact, most museums aren't even covered for theft. The pieces are basically irreplaceable anyway. So most museums would rather, rather spend that money on added security. So now if you watch a documentary or go to the museum, you'll see these 13, well, 11 empty frames in the wall. Um, and I always thought they was like, oh, that's a nice homage or uh, your home is waiting for you. We're waiting for the paintings. They'll go here when they come back, that kind of thing. But no, because of the will, it stated you can't arrange the artwork, nor can you add to the collection. So they just put the f- empty frames back on the wall. <laughs> and that Carlos. So I have a question. Like, why why don't they why would why don't they just give it to the Museum of, of Fine Arts? Like, I mean, like for that, if you're if you're if like again, if you love art, you'd think that you would give it away to them so they could keep better track of these things. I know. Well, I mean, up up until that heist, they've kept track, and it, it's I will one of these days. I've never been okay. to the museum. I will go one of these days. Uh, you know, I, I, it interests me more. Once I do a story on something, it really interests me to go see it. I think I wouldn't have any appreciation. I'm interested too now. Yeah, that's I know. I mean, I don't care. I like. I don't go to you know the Museum of Art. Those things. I don't go. They don't interest me. They really don't. <laughs> but this one will interest me. And the next time I go, I will probably uh, run up there and go take a look because the museum is when you get in is beautiful. It has this beautiful inside courtyard with flowers and waterfalls and all kind of beautiful. You know, I think it's a really interesting one it's- to go see. It's, so it's still privately yep. financed yep. to this day. Wow. Do they have better security? I will now? assume that they have up the security. I will assume that they have. They didn't. They're not obviously going to tell us, but I think if nothing else, probably through donations and so forth, people have probably donated over the years. It's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. Like it's really pretty cool that she that she was like that strong arm will to be like nope, this stays the way I want it, and it's going to be privately financed. And like again, to me, like I I think. Like if it was me, I would, I would, I would, I would break the wills just for the art itself to like have it know that it's secured by the, by the natural music. I would have just so I knew it had better security. I would try. I would probably. Break yeah, the I, wills. well, I think like, by law you probably cannot. Uh, you know, you probably cannot because it's a private okay. thing. But I'm sure that they've 
cross the line to out of necessity to some they have to i think they i mean they definitely yeah. got the climate control for the art i mean because if you love the art you got to do what's best right. for the art you know like and you got to figure 1924 they don't i don't think you can have the foresight what the world is going to be like and you know 2024 you know the weather how people act towards it how you know what security will be like what kind of things you can add you know, I I think she stipulated she was a little too tight with it, but she probably also thought that her money would go until the end of time. There was so much of it. For sure. But, well, that's my story, Carlos. Thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you. That was that was some good, fascinating stuff. I, that was I kept I was I was listening to everything. I hope I didn't lose you because with all the names and everything, but there is Netflix there Netflix has a movie and they also have there's a history channel show called the heist they cover it it's kind of concise and so what's the one on netflix called i'm, I'm gonna definitely check it out what's the one on netflix called you know the art of the robbery i think because it was art okay uh i think it was the art of the robbery that makes sense but it is good it's a four-parter it's a good it's a four-parter so how do you find your stories usually something just clicks in me like something grabs my eye when i'm scrolling or something like that you know um i did hear about this one a few years back but i am interested next year's the 35th anniversary and there was some talk of just the fbi putting out everything that they had like any tapes any info putting everything out and letting the junior sleuths see what they can see but uh no for my stories i just kind of thumb through and when something grabs i'm like oh what's that <laughs> and then it sucks me down the rabbit hole like on Google or do you like a Google search? Well, or like when what, I, like where usually, are you around? I think it's, I'm fascinated Usually my inspiration just comes from Facebook, from my finger scrolling. And then something okay. catches my oh, eye. Nice. And then right. I hit Google and sometimes Google lets me down. You really got to start digging. Google can be quite, she's not my <laughs> friend. She's not my friend. But, uh, oh, no. <laughs> but uh, the, the one thing I wish I could do, but I'm really, I watch documentaries, but I'm really bad at taking notes. I was not a premier student. <laughs> so I I watch a documentary and I'll forget 30% of, you know, 50% of what I saw. And then if I try to take notes, it will literally take me, I'm the it'll same take way. me hours yeah. to get through a documentary. <laughs> so no, I do. It just, it, whatever floats my boat that day. No, it's cool. Again, I, again, I appreciate the time that you mean again is I, I feel special. Like you did this for our, our little thing here. And again, it's nice. Well, I, I, I didn't want to do yeah. Anyway, I thought it was interesting and I'm glad you enjoyed it. I really do. And I, again, I can't thank you enough for joining me, but why don't you take a moment and tell everybody what you've got coming up, what, where they can find you and how they can reach you if they want to. So I okay, so we're part of the uh, wrestling fan insight. So we are on um, every Wednesday at, after dynamite at 10 15, I do a, I do a, a space on Twitter there. We do a show on every day at three thirty Eastern time. And we're, we do that on, um, on X as well, but we're also live streaming on, on Twitch, on Facebook, on um, YouTube and everything else. Um, if you just follow us wrestling fan insight, it, it's, it's inside is spelled I N C I T E. And also you can find me on, on, um, X at C to the L O S 77, or I'm even on, on Instagram under rainbow goodness underscore. Perfect. Um, and for me, Again, thank you everybody for taking time to listen to me and Carlos. So you can find us on Twitter at Today We Laughed, Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Today We Laughed and Learned, or you can email me at todaywelaughed at gmail.com. So until next week, Carlos, I think we can definitely say that we laughed and learned all about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>